Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 311 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 10th, 2014. Wow, 311 on 310. We're pretty close. Uh, we got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Of course, USC Spring Football starts tomorrow, March 11th. So we're going to talk all about that with Dan Weber later on the show and Coach Harvey Hyde. We want to get to your questions. There are a bunch of them today. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. It's the easiest way to get a hold of us, or you can leave us a voicemail. 206-888-6755 is the number, or leave a voicemail right on peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail there. Try to keep them short, under a minute, and we'll play them on the air and do our best, our very best, to answer your questions. All right, let's bring in Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, everything's great. I can't believe the weather. We got some good rain here in Southern California a couple of weeks ago, and this past weekend was absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful today on Monday. I tell you, you can't beat the weather for spring practice. Uh, This is unbelievable. It's it's shiny, it's warm, but it's not hot. It's just fabulous. Just Southern California. That's why we live. (laughs) That's why we live here. So wow. We'll we'll see if some. Maybe some unofficial visits will come out from out of state and the players can come out and see how beautiful the weather is and Southern California will work out for Sark all around. It is beautiful. It really is. And for all of you that are listening in other areas, you know, uh, what can I say? (laughs) We're crowded. There's no room. The houses cost too much. It's too expensive to come to California. Stay where you are. We've got enough people out here. What do we have, 30 million people in California? Just yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's crazy, but yes, it's uh, it's pretty crowded. But the reason why is you look outside and it's absolutely beautiful, and that's a normal reason. But uh, if you if you want tickets for something inside that's not outside, you can do this anywhere. Southern California tickets. You can even go to baseball games. Those are outside. SCTickets.com is where you want to go. They've been helping us out over the last several years on the Parastyle Podcast. You can give them a call one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven if you need tickets for anything. Like I said, check out SCTickets.com and. Uh, They'll help you out, and you should check out Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. It's his Twitter handle, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Mine's at Inside Troy, if you want to follow either one of us. And tweet at us, and you can tweet us questions for the podcast. We like to play those every once in a while. And I know Coach is having a lot of fun with the Twitter thing. Hey, thank you very much for giving that out. I have had a lot of fun. And I always tell people where where I'm going, what I'm doing a lot of times. I've been running around quite a bit lately, haven't I? Yeah, if you check it out on Twitter, you can follow what everything the coach is doing, and uh, he's good about you're good about retweeting, coach. Was not always easy to do. I know we put up our uh, our interview with Steve Sarkeesian uh, last week. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed that. He was a special guest on the Peristyle Podcast on Thursday, I believe it was, and uh, you can check that out on peristylepodcast.com. But I I saw you retweeted that, coach. That was really nice of you. Thank you very much. Uh, I think whenever we can help each other, and this is things that how it works so well is I find out information and uh, I like it when some of the things I'm talking about gets retweeted and sometimes you don't catch it all and you really uh, help each other find things that are important and uh, 
Ryan, I love doing it. Thank you very much, too. Oh, no problem. And uh, hopefully people enjoyed that that interview there. And I don't know if you got to, to hear the whole thing, Coach, but, you know, from that, from what you've heard Coach Sarkeesian say there and in other spots and, you know, with spring football starting Tuesday, tomorrow, uh, any of your thoughts on what the keys to, you know, what USC wants to try to accomplish here for spring football? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be a learning situation. It, it really is going to be. You've got coaches on the staff that are going to be learning as far as the new terminology and the techniques and the plays, both, both offensively and defensively. You've got Clay Helton, who's uh, cramming. You've got uh, T. Martin, who's cramming. You've got uh, Chris Wilson, who's cramming. You've got new coaches on the staff where they've been meeting too and uh, and uh, not moving too fast, but they will be moving along during spring practice as the players move along. You get too far ahead and you forget exactly what you're supposed to uh, uh, teach. So uh, I think that this is going to be a real learning situation for everyone, a new uh, pace at practice, a new philosophy at practice. I know you'll get more done at practice. Under Lane Kiffin, things moved really slow. You used to hear me talk about I can see why they get a lot of delay of game penalties because they took so long in moving practice along and calling plays. But now I think they have to learn a, a new pace of practice. You don't just go out and all of a sudden and start running plays that are faster than, and, and they hurry up offense. The defense, too, has to get ready faster. Uh, you condition uh, through that type of practice. And uh, so it's going to be a lot of different things. I can't, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to practice. I know you go to every practice. I'm looking forward to see the teaching methods uh, of hurry-up offense, the new defense uh, philosophy, uh, seeing a new staff, almost an entire new staff, that has worked together at Washington now, uh, come to USC, and also watching a program that wants to come back to the elite level. Uh, They have been now in the middle of the PAC and the PAC-12. The PAC-12 is a new conference. There isn't a weak team anywhere in the conference. So uh, uh, I want to see the abilities to see if now Coach uh, Sarkeesian can become an elite coach not just an elite program or team elite coach where he starts to maybe elevate himself, not quickly, but five years, ten years, into the category of a Pete Carroll or John McKay. And this is what people are looking for. They're not looking for just a regular program. They want to see this program be elevated back to where it was. So uh, he's got uh, a lot of energy. He's young. Had a great recruiting year, and now we can see if he can take the Washington program, which he went to, which was down, brought it to a certain level. Now Chris Peterson goes there to see if he can take it to another level. And now Steve Sarkeesian comes back to USC, where it's been raised a little bit this past year with the finishing of a a 10-4 season and a bold victory and take it to the next level after having a great recruiting year. So spring practice is going to be very important, not only for the players, but for the coaches, the philosophy, and the direction of USC football. Um, Coach, we had a lot of questions about uh, practices being open and things like that. So just kind of like a public service thing that, um, you know, we're we're all learning. It's going to be, everything's going to be a little bit different because it's a new coaching staff. So we haven't been to practice yet. But, you know, the Tuesday, Thursday practices on the on campus, Howard Jones, 
first 200 or so fans can go in there. We've never seen them hit that limit before. We'll see if that changes. But can go and enter on the baseball field area, Dado Field, and, and watch from the deck above. Um, so that should still uh, that should be happening. I think there's one date, March 27th, I believe, is the day. There's, there's some other event there, so you can't do it that day. But for the most part, if you want to watch spring practice during the week, you can go up to Dado Field. If you want to watch it at the Coliseum on the weekends, um, you can attend, and, and I, it's one of the, I forget which sideline you have to sit on, but in the stands there, um, you can't get down on the field. And, and I think that's part of because of the NCAA sanctions. The probation is still going on until June, so you can't have uh, fans on the field with the players and, and things like that. But people, a lot of people ask about that, Coach. I think it's cool that you're, you know fans will be able to come out and watch practices a little bit from afar. They can't watch from the field like you used to do back in the Pete Carroll days, but you'll still be able to watch practice. I agree, and I think that uh, once that uh, sanction is lifted, the fall practices will, again, I hope Coach uh, Steve Sarkeesian will open them up where people can come out with their kids and families and teams and watch USC. I think that had a lot to do with Pete Carroll's success as far as uh, being out there and seeing the Trojans and sharing the love a little bit and having prospects out there with their families and teams and friends. And uh, it was a lot of fun. They would have a thousand people at practice. Uh, Ryan, you you know that yourself, or more in some cases. And you used to be able to move around the field a little bit. And I hope they can do that again. I hope they open that up, where you can move around and watch some of the drills. Right now, from where we're, we're required to stand, you, me, and all the media, you can't even see the defensive line and offensive line and what they're doing. So. Uh, I hope they allow us to move around again where we have the freedom of selecting the drill we want to watch and uh, be able to enjoy practice at that level. I hope that all happens. Will it happen? I don't know. We'll see. But first step, of course, we're going to see how Steve Sarkeesian runs practices in spring football. Looks like a lot of the policies will be the same, but, you know, like we said, we'll check it out. Um, Let's get to some questions, Coach. Uh, Andrew wrote in. And this is kind of violent, but this is what he wrote. I'll just read it to you. Gun to your head, Coach. Who's QB1 coming out of spring football? Who's QB1 coming out of spring Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Who do you think? Well, I think going into uh, spring practice, is no doubt, is Cody Kessler. I mean, here's a guy that's the most valuable player in the Las Vegas Bowl, a guy that's been leading the offseason programs, a guy that's been doing everything on top of uh, has all the respect of the team because of the experience of winning 10 football games. So you, you, to, to say everything's equal going into the spring, okay, you can say that. But I think this guy has an edge. Now, to beat out Cody, you're going to have to really have a great performance out of uh, Max Brown or uh, Green, the new uh, freshman quarterback that's coming in. And, I, and, I, and I'm not taking anything away from Green, but that's going to be a tough tough challenge for him to come in and go against Max Brown and Cody Kessler. I've always thought that Max Brown is very talented. He throws the ball well. His time will come. Uh, But right now, I would say, if you want me just to guess from the experience and everything that's going on, and of course, I don't know what they're going to have the quarterback to do, I would say it's going to be Cody Kessler. Uh, I thought he really played well towards the end of the year. He's a leader teammates like him so I would say coming out of spring practice if they say we still haven't determined who our quarterback is then we're going to have another one of these game things but uh you know you got to decide who your guy is you have to do that so I would say it's Cody Kessler 
Yeah, I would say as well. And uh, Sark, when we had him on the show, he said there was no schedule as far as when they're going to decide someone. I don't think they want to wait too long, but it, you know, like obviously it didn't work out that well last year when there was no decision made a couple weeks into the season. Um, but I kind of get the feeling, same thing, Coach. If, if I had to guess anybody, it would be Cody Kessler. We, we only got to see one offseason workout. Um, they just hadn't done a whole lot of them because of the, the coaching change and schedules and stuff. But it looked to me like Cody Kessler was a leader out there. I thought Max Brown played really well, and it looks like he's he's kind of grown into his body a little bit more, and I thought he threw in a really nice ball. But at this point, you know, with, with Max Wittick being gone, it just seems to me like Cody Kessler has kind of stepped up and become, you know, one of the leaders on the team. And uh, I agree with you. And I'll tell you, I'm not all disappointed that they didn't have a lot of uh, on-field practices. First of all, they didn't do it because they don't really know the techniques and a lot of the uh, things that they're going to do out there, playing catch and throwing the ball around to keep your arm sharp. sharp. I think that's good. But, you know, Essie has had more injuries on their <laughs> – uh, passing the football around like Stevie Mitchell and others out there during the summer months and 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 spring conditioning programs uh, as they do during the practice. I, I just they get a little bit too physical, they compete a little bit too hard, and I think you want your kids to be hungry to go out in in spring practice, not burned out before pr- spring practice starts. And I sort of like what they're doing on this. They're not pushing the kids to the football part of it yet. They're keeping them in the weight room, conditioning, getting bigger, getting stronger. And uh, I think I like that. I really do like that. I didn't like my kids going out and having football, football, football all year round. And, I, and I'm going to tell you this, and I know, Ryan, you're into this evaluating stuff with high school football players. I think they get burned out. I think they have to go to too many camps, do passing league and all these other Nike camps and Under Armour and all this I think kids get too much. They don't have a chance to really enjoy their off-season or to be a kid or to be in weight rooms and do the things they need to do. So I think a lot of that is all oversold, all, all overbuilt up and just waits for people to make additional money. Now, you know, Coach, I, we cover a lot of those camps, and I, I was actually talking to one of the coaches there, and he agreed with them that there are so many opportunities for these players to play. And I think if you're – a lower level guy and you get a chance to go to a camp where there's other top guys and you can prove yourself. I think that's beneficial, but some of those guys, especially the guys at the top of the food chain there that everyone knows who they are, there's pressure for them to go to every single one of these. And I think you can get burned out. So I, I think it's good that there's opportunities for some of these players to make a name for themselves that don't have any scholarship offers yet. And they could, you know, kind of put themselves on the radar, but on the other side too, that the top guys that you know are really good, People want them to play in every camp, every combine, every passing you know league, and for their teams, and it, it can be just too much. I agree, hundred percent. I think it's too much too for the combine. I think the combine and all star games, pro day, all these things they do in college too. I think it's too much. Hey, if I can't decide a guy can play after uh, writing him up and watching him practice and playing games. Uh, for three years, I have to take him to a combine. <laughs> I mean, please, guys, change your profession. Do something else. I mean, uh, are you having to combine to go against college basketball? Are you having it, what, to go against the NBA? I mean, please. I mean, I, I, yes, you do find out a couple of kids that, wow, look at this kid. He's the fastest kid. And we didn't know who he was. They know who they are. 
If you don't know who they are, put a new guy in that area because he's not doing his job. So, uh, you know, I think all of that's too much, too, Ryan. I'm just telling you, and if you're a scout out there, I apologize to you, but you probably agree with me, okay? <laughs> um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's go to a voicemail question, Coach. Uh, I'll play this first one for you. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Al from Fresno. Uh, with Max Wittick leaving, does that open up another scholarship? And I know I asked this question before. Uh, when we have players like Trey Madden, I mean not Trey Madden, uh, DJ Morgan, and others that are injured injured uh, for so long, uh, is it possible to move those uh, players off of the roster to get other players who aren't injured? So uh, we're not uh, filling scholarships with players who will never uh, perform on the field. Uh, that's a question for coach or anyone that can answer it. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you, when I played, it was a little bit – not played. When I played, hey, didn't even have any scholarships. No, when, uh, when I coach, uh, you could replace certain numbers as long as you didn't get over your limit. But now it's changed a little bit. And uh, if you if a guy comes out early, you can't replace it. If a guy goes to the a transfer to another university, no, you can't replace it. Uh, uh, and not only that, it counts against you as far as graduation rates, too, because you're supposed to graduate so many players. So, uh, you know, you don't like to see your players leave. You really don't. Uh, sometimes it's good. Before, I'll be honest with you, I used to have meetings with parents, have them come in after we had a kid for a year or two, and I would call them and I'd say, now, we're not taking your son's scholarship, but we misevaluated your son. He's a great kid. We're not going to take a scholarship. He can stay, but he's never going to play. And not to hurt the kid's feelings, but the kid wants to play football. So we would encourage and even help him go to another school to be able to have fun and finish it out. Now, if the parents chose not to do that, they didn't have to. And if the kid ever turned it around and was able to play, congratulations to him. But we wanted players on our team to be happy, not moping around knowing they never could play. Today, the numbers are less. We used to be able to have, I think we had 105 scholarships at that time, which is 20 more than what they have today. So today you don't want players to leave because it counts against you, and you can't replace them. So when Max Wittick leaving, that doesn't mean they can have one more scholarship next year. doesn't mean that. So uh, you don't want your players to leave, but you don't want players that are unhappy either. So in some cases, you're better off in releasing players. Now, I like the way they release Mac Wittick. Guy wanted to go, but yet you can't play against us. You can't go to a school that's going to play against us. I think that's fair. You don't have to release the guy, you know. He can leave, and you don't have to release him. That means he has to pay his own way for a year no matter where he goes. But if you release him, that means he can go on scholarship immediately. I wasn't real happy with Carlisle going to Notre Dame, no matter what it was, and being eligible. I, I didn't like that. Uh, not that he beat USC, but I, I don't want to have to release a guy and then worry about him playing against us. So I like what they did with Max Whitty. I hope he's happy. I don't know where he's going to go. I understand he visited Hawaii, he visited Texas. I don't know where else he's going to go. Maybe you know, Ryan. But, you know, when kids leave, uh, you can't just make up that number. And it's too bad you can't. I really think you possibly should. 
Well, we get that question all the time, so I apologize for the people that are are sick of hearing. <laughs> but we it just comes up so often, and I think mostly it's because of the sanctions where you're not usually – no one really asked a scholarship question when Pete Carroll was around. He only recruited – 18, 19 guys, they, they were all, you know, they were in the 70s somewhere. They never really pushing the limits as far as scholarships go. So it, it didn't really matter. You didn't worry about if someone left, no one asked, oh, do you get a scholarship back? But because the numbers have been so low that people want to know. But that's not how it works. You don't get one after someone leaves. It doesn't matter if they transfer. They go early to the NFL. There's an X amount of scholarships you get during signing day, and there's X amount you can have on the roster right now. USC's under that number. Roster-wise, it should be about 70 scholarship players unless someone else leaves for 2014, and they can have up to 75. They cannot make those up. They could give some walk-ons a scholarship. If they've been in the program for a couple of years, it won't count as one of those initial rides. Uh, But then they have 25 more that they can hand out uh, in February. And there's no early enrollees because it was a full class in 2013. So 25 is the most you can bring in. Uh, by my count, they will not be able to get back up to 85 after February, but you know they'll get close. So as long as a whole bunch of people don't, you know, there's no mass exodus on the team. I think numbers-wise, they'll be okay, and they'll be able to get close to 85 probably by 2016, 2017. That's that's my kind of estimation of what goes on. Obviously, a lot of things could happen between now and then, Coach, but that's kind of my assessment looking at the numbers going forward. You're exactly right. They tried to bury USC with their sanctions. They really did. It was planned. It was a planned attack, okay? I don't want to use the term. I won't use the term, but, uh, you know, what they did, they knew what they were doing as far as trying to penalize USC, and I think USC has really fought to it well. Uh, They they still have a very uh, outstanding football program. By the way, I want to do this. Coach Cynthia Cooper, I've got to do this right now. Okay. I don't know how many people watched about, uh, the uh, Pac-12 basketball women's tournament yesterday, but congratulations to the USC women's basketball program. What a job she's done. I, I love talking to her. I've had her on my shows. She's just got so much enthusiasm. And for the USC team to go up to Seattle, win four straight games, and win the Pac-12 championship and go to the NCAAs, Congratulations. That was fantastic. Did you watch it? I didn't get to watch it. No, we were following it on uh, Twitter a little bit. And uh, certainly it was a pretty impressive win, impressive run from the women of Troy to going through the Pac-12 tournament like that. It really was. Man, I was excited watching that. I felt like they had won the NCAA championship. They were definitely excited. We actually have a basketball question that Dan's going to answer a little bit later on. I think it, I think they're going to touch on the women as well. Uh, but it's, it's been pretty different, coach, for the men and the women's teams. It's it's not exactly they're not exactly on the same level right now. No, they aren't, and uh, both first year coaches too. And I don't want to say anything against the the men's program, uh, but uh, next year everyone's looking forward to seeing exactly what will happen there. I just be honest with you. You know, they can excuse the first year because he didn't have time to get his own players and all this and that. But they've got next year. Everyone's expecting a lot better. They certainly will. Uh, well, let's get back to uh, football. Um, Melvin had a question. He wants to know, do you think Greg Townsend Jr. and Kenny Bigelow are ready to step up and show us they can play big-time Division One football? Well, I think they're going to have to show me a lot. Uh, I like uh, Kenny Bigelow as a person. Uh, 
but I don't think he was he was challenged in high school. Okay, he never really had to compete in high school. Never had to play hard all the time. Uh, and I watched him closely on video, and I watched him closely uh, last uh, year. Uh, he's got to learn to play hard on every single down. He wasn't in condition at all in the spring. He he really wasn't. He couldn't go hard. And it was a big adjustment for him to come to USC. He was going to be an automatic redshirt. I could tell that right away. He's got the size. When he wants to, I think he's got the quickness, but I'm going to have to see him. He's got to play harder. And it's got to be important to him. It's got to be important to him. And I think that's what Greg Townsend has the same, uh, same, same thing that he has to overcome. His dad was a great player. He's not his dad. He's playing under his dad's uh, tutorship and image of who his dad was. And uh, I, I, he's got to get a lot meaner, but he has the talent. He's very quick, but he's got to show that he loves the game. Uh, you know, you can, you can look at kids and you can tell who loves the game and who doesn't love the game or who's just out there. I want to see him step to be get as many turns as I can get, play hard on every down. Don't be afraid to club somebody or if somebody's holding you, tell them the next time you do that, I'm going to club you right in the head. And and be a football player. I think both of these guys have got to prove, and if Mr. Townsend is listening, his father, he knows how I coach because I recruited him and played against him and know everything about him. I think he would agree with me. He grew up in Beverly Hills, went to Beverly Hills High School, didn't come up like his dad did. He needs to get his stuff together. He needs to say, hey, if I don't hit, that guy's going to hit me. And I think Bigelow has got to learn to play hard and get in shape. He's got to play hard on every single down. He came in as, a, I think, a five-star, but he hasn't played to five-star level. So it's time for him to raise his game because they certainly need both of these players to play and be in a position to help the Trojans' defensive line. Right now, can they do it? This spring will tell the, tell me. I, and I don't know. Townsend's hurt a little bit, so I don't know if he's going to practice or not. But I certainly hope he can practice or uh, try to improve himself. But they got to prove to me that they want to play football at a level of what Division One championship football is. And so far, they haven't to me. All right, Coach, one more. That's being honest, isn't it? That's being honest, but we're, that's why we're going to go to practice this week and uh, over the next five or six weeks and find out what's going on with there because there's a, some definitely some bodies that need to be replaced on the defensive line. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna, I don't know what they're going to do Saturday, but I'm coming out Saturday. Saturday's my special day to come out and watch practice. That'll be at 11 o'clock. Uh, I can't, I have trouble during the week getting there at four because I have shows at six. Right. I get caught in traffic and I can't get back to doing my shows. But Saturdays, I'll be there every Saturday, Ryan. You know, we always see each other there. We always do. And I, you always like to sit on your own and just watch. So it's good. All by myself. I don't want to be talking to anybody. No, it's, it can be a social hour at practice sometimes. So Coach does not do that. He likes to sit and watch and find out what's going on there. So we, uh, uh, I need to do that myself every once in a while, just walk away from people because a lot of people want to talk to you and just want to, okay, I've got to, I got to watch football now. So you can do that. Well, we got one last question for you, coach. I want to play this uh, voicemail question for you. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, my question is for coach Harvey Hyde. 
I was just curious, what position do you think Josh Shaw projects at the next level as far as a high, having a higher ceiling at playing safety or corner? Thank you and fight on. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I heard there was a question last week or the week before regarding that, and I didn't have a chance to answer it, and I certainly do want to answer that question. First of all, I think Josh Shaw has done a great job in the secondary for USC. Without him last year, moving from safety to corner, they wouldn't have won seven games, six games. He went out there and he adjusted. He played hard. He he didn't complain about it. I think he did a great job. He played physical. He did his best job at corner. You know, you know what that did to him? Made him a more valuable player. Put him out there on a corner where he could play man, taught him how to play man, and he'll be a better safety because of that. To be able to go out and if I'm scouting them, I'm a, if I'm an NFL scout, I want to see. Hey, this guy has played corner. This guy knows how to cover. This guy has gone against great receivers, and uh, sometimes won and sometimes lost, but he can do it. I have a chance to evaluate him, and then I think his on the next level he'll be a safety, and I think he can do a great job at being a safety because he's a tough guy. He doesn't back away. He'll smack you. He's a leader. Uh, and I think he'll he'll have great success as a safety. I think he's a better football player today because he was out there on the corner. And he was forced to play one-on-one, challenge himself to do something probably he didn't really want to do, but he did it for the best of the team, and it's going to pay off for him. So I think on the next level he'll be a safety, and today's safeties on the next level have to cover and I think he'll be a better football player because of that. And uh, uh, I thought he did a great job. So, you know, that's my feeling on that. And uh, they won't play him inside again this year. They'll play him outside again, which will, again, give him some great, great uh, practice at covering man, playing against great receivers, and that will help him on the next level. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming on. And next time we talk to you, We'll be able to pick your brain on what you saw out at USC football spring practice. So looking forward to that. But uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Coach. And I'm looking forward to it too, Ryan. I tell you, I can't wait to get out there on Saturday and see what's going on with the new uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, football program and uh, see all my friends and then uh, talk to everybody about it next Monday. Okay, buddy? Sounds great. And, uh, again, you can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. And, Everyone else back in 30 seconds talking with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show with spring practice starting tomorrow. Dan, I wanted to start off and maybe just, you know, say hello, but also 
kind of get your keys. What are you expecting uh, for the Trojans to kind of get out of spring football? I guess uh, the relationship uh, that they're going to have with the coaches, I think that's a, that's a key because, you know, they get a couple of hours a week uh, while they're doing the strength and conditioning and uh, had an awful lot of meetings uh, and had walkthroughs, but no real practices to see how, how that kind of chemistry works in terms of, uh, and, and this is a group that obviously after last year and the kind of you know season they had with all the different you know coaches and adjustments and and what have you, these guys are pretty good at that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think again the the thing I'm more interested in is uh, is how Sark uh, handles it and his coaches and how they learn. I think the the focus to me is more going to be on the coaching staff and how how they uh you know work with a with a group of players that are pretty talented, pretty experienced and uh pretty much used to handling uh whatever comes their way. And uh we'll see how that works. And I, I do think we'll whether we'll see the complete uh speeded up up tempo practice in the in the spring the way we're gonna almost certainly see it in the fall. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see because this is, as they've talked about, more of a, an NFL type uh, learning situation, and uh, uh, maybe not exactly the, the you know the kind of practice you're going to have in the fall, uh, getting ready for the season, and, and, and the kind of practices you're going to have week to week on game week. But uh, but that'll be my focus, I think, is uh, is is on the coaches and, and how that works between coaches and players. Yeah, I mean, it'll be an interesting dynamic to, to kind of see there. But, it, you know, we got to, uh, you know, we had uh, Steve Sarkeesian on the podcast over the week, you know, during the week. And it sounded like, from what he was saying, you know, what, what a lot of us expected is that spring football is not going to be as, you know, tackling to the ground as hard-hitting and, and, you know, physical. But fall camp sounds like it might be a little more that way. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I, from everything we've heard with uh... – Steve has really been paying attention and really listening and really, uh, you know, understanding his players and where they are, what they can do, what he's going to be able to do, how the numbers, you know, impact, all that kind of stuff. So we haven't gotten any false notes uh, yet in terms of how they're going to how they're going to run things. And, and he's, it's interesting, you know, some of the positions are really deep and some not so. Some will be uh, come fall. Uh, so. Uh, and, and a lot of them, for example, defensive line, the new guys who everybody wants to see and see get a chance are going to get the chance, you know, with a Leonard Williams, uh, you know, kind of uh, not hitting in the, in, the, in the spring, doesn't need to. But that gives, uh, you know, guys like Delvin Simmons and uh, Claude Talon and uh, boom, 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 Kenny Bigelow a chance to, to do that. So, uh and how that really plays out on the offensive line, we're just not sure where guys who really could benefit from that, like Zach Banner and Jordan Simmons, where exactly they are physically. Uh, but, uh, again, it might not be something that you can absolutely know for sure right now or predict right now that you have to kind of let them get into it. They're going to have a week, uh, first week, without much contact. Next week, they're going to be off then you've got final four weeks and uh, they may be in a different place uh, for those final four weeks and say they are the first two weeks as well. So it's going to be a 
kind of a, a you know good situation as far as uh, being able to evaluate over the next six weeks. Um, any concern? I know we emailed about this a little bit during the week, Dan. But is there any concern on your part as far as it's the first time in a long time we haven't seen you know really multiple throwing sessions where the players kind of stay sharp and going on? I know it's it's different when you have a coaching transition there. But any concerns there that the players weren't able to get out in the winter before spring football and throw the football around more? You know, because I mean the one we went to, there wasn't a scholarship wide receiver there. So, uh, uh, anyway, a scholarship wide receiver who's in school right now uh, there. And uh, so, basically, I guess they probably took that into, into consideration. The, uh, the strength and conditioning stuff has been more thorough and there been more teaching because they're doing more new things. So, they've taken longer. They, uh, the sessions are longer. They're more thorough in terms of explaining, going through everything that they're doing. So I think they're actually putting in more time. They certainly seem to have had more meetings and more uh, walkthroughs and things like that that we aren't allowed to be part of. But uh, uh, so I think they've they've probably put in more time. They probably put in uh, they've obviously put in less less time and just the straight up throwing stuff. But uh, that might be somewhat uh, according to plan because a lot of that would have been kind of a, a Content, you know, continuing where they were, and with the new, and not just going to be that many new looks in terms of plays and things like that, but with a with a new offense, I think they maybe say want to think uh, let's start with spring, and then we'll be able to do a lot of that in the summer with the throwing, but throwing the way we want to we want to throw, as opposed to kind of continuing the 2013 uh, you know season so that's that's my take on it. i think i don't think it's going to hurt them much at all if any okay uh well let's we got some questions here uh Tarek had a interesting one and i, th- I think one of the things we're going to learn about this team is on the defensive side of the ball and what it looks like but um he wants to know do you see quinn powell and scott Starr as inside or outside linebackers in this system uh, i think they're outside uh, but I don't think I don't think anybody's absolutely absolutely uh, certain, and I think that's a good thing. Let, let's let it play out. Uh, so, um, but I think outside. The uh, it's part of the you know the scheme when you're talking from last year was like this five two thing until this year it's a you know three four really base, but it's going to be some hybrid stuff. And uh, we actually got to talk Dan with uh, Chris Wilson for a little bit yesterday. He was at the uh, L.A. Nike camp. His son is a, a high school uh, quarterback at Sarah High School, so he's allowed to attend these camps um, that you know, oh, the players right. go to. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so he was there. Actually, Kenny, uh, Kennedy Palomalu was down there. Um, you know, he was, his son is also a, a high school football player. Um, so some of these coaches can kind of check out what's going on there. But it, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm really, he seemed like a really nice guy, uh, you know, Chris Wilson and you know, talking to him about the outside linebacker spot, we actually asked him a little bit about that, um, you know, yesterday. And there's, you know, one is more of a kind of the elephant guy. And you, I, I'm, But it, it looks like it's going to be a little bit different from last year. Maybe, you know, in the Pendergast system, those guys are more like defensive linemen. And, and in this system, they're more like outside linebackers. But players like that, like Quentin Powell and Scott Starr, I think would, you know, kind of benefit from that. But maybe a little bit smaller guy playing in those outside spots. 
Yeah, no, I think there, I liked uh, in talking to, to Chris, I thought he really emphasized how they're going to let the personnel make the decisions. This is not a, a case of, of hammering uh, square pegs into round holes just because that's how you want to do it. But it's a matter of getting out there. And I think Clancy did some of the same thing where he realized, okay, this is going to work better. If this guy's here, this is what he does best. Let's figure out how we can allow him to do that. And so, so I think that's going to be the key in terms of how do our personnel match up <clears throat> against the people we're playing and what can we do with them to take away what that, you know, they're trying to do to us. And so, uh, and so I think the USC does have the flexibility to use people in different ways. And, you know, you've got a, you'll have an outside linebacker, you know, 270-pound uh, J.R. Tavai. Well, I think we kind of have an idea how they're going to play him. And yet you could also have, a, you know, Quentin Powell lining up uh, as an outside linebacker. And, you know, he's going to certainly play it differently. Uh, so I think they're going to try to be as flexible and as multiple. I think the key – with, with their line, uh, or with the the defensive, if you want to categorize it, is I think the key is the word multiple, and I think Clancy got really multiple last year, and quickly, and I think, uh, you know, that's how uh, Justin Wilcox is going to go. It's going to be multiple, and it's going to be based on uh, how how do we match up against people we're playing. That's that, and and how do our personnel how do we use this is I'm saying this from the point of view of the USC coaches. They're looking at it and saying, how do we use the guys we have uh, best against the people we're playing and what they're trying to do? So I think the decision is it's better to be able to do different things out of that that match up better every week and match up, match our personnel. That makes sense. And uh, you know, it, one of the other things he mentioned was that, you know, in that system, you usually need fewer bodies. Like there's, it's hard to find, you know, there's only so many large human beings <laughs> on the face of the earth, you know, trying to find guys that are, you know, six, five and 300 pounds. It's not really all that easy. But the interesting aspect is that this year, even though George Uko has gone, it looks like USC is going to have some more options inside than they even did last year with the with the guys in the program and the, the Kenny Bigelow's and Delvon Simmons and stuff of the world. It'll be interesting to see how those guys step in there. USC actually, you know, you lose a guy like Uko early, but you might have more big bodies inside to play with. Well, and the other thing, and we haven't talked that much about him because uh, the way they ended up not using the nose all that much, Antoine Woods just looks like he's in the best shape by far that he's ever been in. I saw him not too long ago, and he's just thrilled to death at at, uh, where he is right now, at 310 pounds, and feeling like he can, uh, he's just much stronger and quicker. And he might be somebody who, you know, we haven't, haven't you know had in the forefront of our our thinking, but could be ready for a you know a breakout year I think. And obviously anybody that watched that uh, finishing up with a strength and conditioning and watched Kenny Bigelow toss those tires around, uh, you realize I mean this is a kid that's got some physical tools, and uh, now just figuring out how to use them in uh, game situations. And uh, there are some uh, there are some building blocks uh, up front. Uh, uh, Delvon Simmons is a different looking guy with at six six and you know over three hundred pounds who can run, you know, run to the football. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use him, but uh, but they've got you know they've got some people who uh, 
who have the potential to be pretty good. And then you get, you know, you throw them in with Leonard Williams and uh, it could be pretty disruptive. Certainly could. Um, all right, well, let's go back to the questions. Uh, Earl in West LA had a couple of them. His first one, he said, I was both surprised and sorry to hear that Cyrus Hobby is no longer on the football team. He's a good kid with a lot of potential, who I think was hurt by the scholarship sanctions that caused him to play against Stanford when he wasn't ready to step up to that level of competition. What's the story behind his departure, Earl in West LA? Well, you know, I think there was some, you know, when you, I mean, he had some ongoing uh, back issues for sure. Um, and he did, I, he's a kid that you know, loves the whole idea of, the, you know, the theater and, and, and enter, you know, being on stage and what have you. And he's got a presence there. Uh, it was always a little worrisome that he, he wrote, uh, you know, a one-act play about his, uh, you know, the angst of, of having to have that game against Stanford and uh, having to, uh, you know, to suffer as a result of it. You know, I always had thought, I'm, I'm, this is a classic Sounds like a second guess, but it really wasn't at the time. The day uh, that he left the practice field, the week of the Stanford game on Tuesday, with uh, where they had to cart him off, and you know it sure looked like he was hyperventilating and handle, you know, just having trouble handling. Well, I had talked to him in, in July about playing center, and he really didn't want to play center. He was not. He wasn't comfortable with making the calls wasn't comfortable, you know, with being up to speed and probably never should have been put in that position. Uh, John Martinez should have gone to center that week when they had the bad luck of getting, you know, two players injured at the end of the Syracuse game, two centers, Colin Holmes and Abe Markowitz. Again, people were probably saying, what the heck was Colin Holmes doing in the game that, that close to the end of the game in Syracuse? And that's a good, good, good question. It doesn't have a good answer, but but uh, I think uh, Cyrus gave them the reason that they didn't need to play him. They needed to play uh, John Martinez. And the other second guess for that game is Abe Martinez, or excuse me, Abe Markowitz had separated his left shoulder, not his snapping shoulder. He was cleared to play. They just chose not to play him. I think those kinds of personnel decisions which plagued Lane and his staff through his time at USC really came home to, to hurt everybody. I mean, USC wins that game, which they should have won, changes everything in terms of Lane and his career, changes everything probably in terms of Cyrus Hobby's career. But, uh, but there were a whole series of, uh, of wrong calls made uh, about that Stanford game, and uh, I think it made it very hard for Cyrus to uh, – to overcome the rest of his way. And he had some bad luck with injuries on top of that and hope he gets his act together and uh, has a great career as an actor. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. But the good part is that when we had our you know interview with uh, Steve Sarkeesian on the podcast, and you can listen to it on peristylepodcast.com, um, he said he's still going to be around the program. He's still around there. He's going to be helping out. It was really just medical reasons he had to retire from football uh, but he's still going to be around. So I, I think that's a good thing. It, it just shows at least that there's no some ill will or anything where he just wants to to walk out and leave. He's still going to be around trying to help the guys. Yeah, and I think, you know, well-liked kid, uh, you know, tremendous, lot of fun. And it just you know, didn't didn't get many breaks that, that went his way. So, uh, 
yeah, we're all all be glad to you know, have him or have him around and and involved, and I think the kids will be as well, and it'll be good for everybody. All right. Uh, he had one other question, Dan, um, for uh, Teo Lobendon. He said he's been given the jersey number of 55. Coach Sarkeesian thinks that he can come in and play early. Do you think that means that he can go in there and replace Marcus Martin at center, or has 55 just become another number? Hmm. Good question. I, I'll be honest. I'm not a numbers guy. I, I get really uh, try to be uninvolved with the numbers and thinking about numbers. I just think it's so much. I mean, if you wanted to pick the worst number on the team, if I had to pick the worst number on the team, I'd say probably number 37. If that is not the most nondescript possible <laughs> number, then, you know, it's Buck Allen. I, who cares what number he's wearing? It's, you know, how is the guy playing or what kind of numbers does he put up? So I'm not a big numbers guy, but you're right. Uh, has it made 55 kind of just another number? Maybe that, and maybe that's not a bad thing. Uh, does it indicate with the 50 that center might be a place that they certainly would like to see how how it works out for him? Sure. I mean, 50s, the 50s were always the classic in the old days, centers, numbers. So uh, if that's what it's saying, that's great. Uh, I just uh, am not, you know, somebody who likes to anoint people before before they played or put any extra pressure on them in ways in which, uh, you know, we're talking about numbers instead of just talking about a kid playing football. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we do end up talking about numbers quite a bit. It's It's interesting. I'm not exactly sure why that becomes such a big topic, but it is. It's very, you know, people – uh, really get into the whole number thing. And, you know, 55 being yeah, the kind Yeah, don't of, even begin to ask about number five, you know, and where that's going. Yeah, well, possibly you know, I asked Sark. That. We yeah. I want to think about that one. I asked Sark about that. I got, I didn't push him on it, but he just kind of gave, like, more of a generic answer about all numbers and wasn't really going to say that Adore Jackson were number five or why Lobendon was going to wear number, um, you know, 55. But uh, it's, 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 the numbers are interesting, um, but it's really about what these guys are going to do. I mean, I, I think it's nice. You know, I, I don't know if it was the best thing to, like, take people's numbers away when it was, like, the number one or whatever when that was happening before. We've seen it cause problems. We've seen it become more of a story than it probably has to be. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just kind of get the feeling it's not going to be as, like, as overemphasized. Like you said, a guy like Buck Allen, who's the MVP of the team, wearing number 37 kind of says a lot. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that's a you know, and not to downgrade walk-ons, but that's a walk-ons number, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or it's a number that you give to the guy that's the fourth-string tailback in your opener. Oh wait, that was Buck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I just I think and one of the things USC's got a whole lot of numbers that mean a whole lot. I mean, when you've got a program like USC, you are going to have meaningful numbers. Uh, I just think it, they ought to be meaningful after the player has uh, has worn them, not before. And I, so I was always kind of, for example, if you're going to take away some kids number one for uh, lack of production or lack of this or that, I'm not sure you could ever give one out to a uh, a player coming in uh, who's obviously not done anything either. So that was always kind of a an, an issue with me that uh, you know if it's going to be production-based, then you really shouldn't be giving it out uh, before they have played a game. 
That's just me. All right. Uh, let's go. We got a voicemail question. Uh, one of our um, one of our frequent callers. I'll let you uh, I'll let you listen to it, Dan, and respond to uh, what he's talking about. Here you go. Yeah, so Dougie, the top of the grapevine, I just want to say I love this show, and I want to thank you guys for producing it. A couple of weeks ago, Ryan thought I was negative when I called up coach, co- talking about Coach Sarkeesian. And what I was doing was I was showing his comments that I thought were negative, but I can see that he must listen to the show because he's walked those comments back considering scholarship numbers and and uh, practice and stuff like that. So I'm, 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 I'm glad he listens to the show. But um, a couple things. Um, I, I just think that he needs to make a statement this year. I, I'm, I'm not a bandwagon guy, but I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that I want to see you show me. And, uh, you know, this, these first, this first year he needs to get in there and he needs to do it. He needs to come out of the blocks fast, and he needs to put a bullseye on Stanford right now. That's going to be a huge game. They're going to be top ten, and uh, we need to take them down. We need to show everyone that last year was in a fluke. And this team can go all the way. It's got more talent than anybody that they're going to face. Uh, and um, as far as I'm concerned, if they can get the Pac-12 South, uh, they got a chance to run that three-game playoff, the Pac-12 championship game, and the two playoff games. They have a chance to run the table and show the nation. They, they can really do it. They've got the talent. They really do. Um, also, uh, I would love, as a Trojan fan, the, the last few years have been just ridiculous. And there's nothing we'd like better than for you to stick a – sharp stick in the NCAA's eye and uh, fight on. Thank you. Yeah, I can't disagree. Uh, I do think Sark's in an unusual situation. Usually when there's a coaching change, it's because something terrible has happened uh, you know, the year before, and that wasn't the case. Something really good happened, and uh, Sark is, is within the right place at the right time, and he's got the benefit of, uh, and I think the way he's talking and the way he's thinking, I think he understands that. This is a chance to be very good very quickly and, and make his mark immediately. And, and because of the 14 playoff, you do have a shot. If you win the Pac-12, uh, you do. And, and I know people will say, and I, I look at uh, a lot of the, you know, on the P, we get people, what do you think? What will you be happy with yesterday? And, oh, eight and four would be fine and nine and nine. And you think, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> they won 10 last year. Uh, should have won 12, um, had the most tumultuous coaching situation ever. Um, personnel-wise, injury-wise, all those things that probably won't be as bad this year. Uh, if you line up, you know, they beat Stanford, and Stanford loses most, you know, most of their defense, much of their offense. And uh, why would USC not be at least, you know, even – even Steven with, with, with somebody like Stanford getting them early in the year, I think is a, an advantage for USC playing at Stanford. You know, if the, uh, if the, if you get a fair shot from the officials, I know that's a hypothetical that is, uh, is not always going to be the case, the Pac-12, but, uh, I, I just think, uh, they're in very good, a very good uh, position right now. And I, I think Sark's got a chance to say, this is who I am. This is how I can coach if I were, you know, would have had this kind of, uh, you know, deep material at Washington. We'd have turned it around even more. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, USC could make a real statement. And it's hard to even imagine right now, but the scenario you talk about, a dream scenario, and yeah, it would be a dream scenario. But if a team in the final year of the most outrageous, 
and the the most uh, uh, limiting sanctions in the history of NCAA football. Nobody has ever been asked to go three straight seasons with 75 scholarships. If that happens in the final year of that, if you would make the playoffs, if you would you know win the win the Pac-12 championship game and get into those two game play that two game playoff, you can't even imagine the impact that would have on USC football. I mean, we we can't even begin to describe it if uh, the kind of coverage that would get, you know, nationally and what have you from people, that just shouldn't happen. We can even talk about it like it's a a possibility. It's amazing. I mean, it's just a tribute to USC, the power of USC, and these players. And now, you know, a new group of coaches gets gets a chance to, to see if they can carry that out. But there is a chance. I mean, it's, should it should it happen? I don't know, but they've got a chance to make it happen, and uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, all right, well, let's switch to uh, we want one last topic, Dan. We want to talk about basketball a little bit. So here, let me play this uh, voicemail question for you to to end the show today. Uh, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. Wanted to talk about the uh, basketball program, but the women's basketball program. Congratulations to Cynthia Cooper and the, the USC women for winning the Pac-12. Something that. I don't think Andy Enfield will ever do. My other comment is uh, on the email we got from Pat Hayden on the uh, uh, Troy statement, I guess, for the entire month of reign of Troy. There was nothing in there about the basketball program, nothing. And I'm wondering if that could mean that uh, Enfield is uh, not on the target as far as staying in. Uh, appreciate your comments. Enjoy the show. And uh, fight on again to the women of Troy basketball program. Bye. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what they did. I mean, you win four straight games in the tournament by an average of five points. I mean, they didn't, you know, they're winning by two and, and five and four. And, you know, the, the championship game against Oregon State, they win by nine. That's the biggest win they had. So they really showed some, some toughness and some grit, and they do reflect their coach, uh, Cynthia Cooper, and uh, heck of a job by them. It puts them in the NCAA tournament, I would think, for sure. And, uh, uh you know, in a way that uh, maybe we hadn't uh, we hadn't considered whether that'll get them. Uh, I think I think Allen's hosting, so whether that that gets them a ho- couple of home games, that'd be that'd be pretty nice. Uh, great job by them and showing the way and being mentally tough and and all that. I do think the men's team had a little bit of of. Showing you some things. I mean, I'll be honest. All season long, I thought the only way they could play is to scramble and hustle and try to play full court as much as possible and beat people down the court and 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 score in transition before people have time to set up their defenses. They did that on the run the second half at Washington State to take uh, to take that game. And had they not had that unbelievable second half start at Washington, where they where they gave up a 17-2 to two run, and then they got back in the game by doing a lot of the same stuff. Uh, you know, they could have had a, a two-game you know, road, uh, road sweep, which would have been pretty amazing at this time of year. Why they haven't chosen to do more of that, uh, you know, scrambling and trying to beat people with energy and enthusiasm and hustle and, uh, and not being forced to shoot the you know, the, the jump shot, shoot the perimeter shots, which people aren't going to let them take the ball inside. They aren't going to let them run a lot of what they're trying to do in their half-court offense. I don't know. But it, 
it did look like uh, when they tried it, 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 it certainly worked. And that was kind of the, the thing that Andy, you know, was known for at, uh, at Florida Gulf Coast. So maybe that's a, a little bit of a hopeful sign uh, finishing the year up. Maybe it'll carry into the, uh, into the Pac-12. And a lot of those teams aren't that far apart. I know people have really disparaged uh, the talent on this USC basketball team. I don't know that the talent, you know, is that far off the mark. I think Nikola Jovanovic is just 6'10 freshman, showing a, a lot of potential, but there are a lot of games where where guys don't show up or, or don't have the ability to, to contribute. And, and I think a lot of that is, you know, what they're trying to do as a team, how they're matching up. And I'd just rather see a match up in terms of energy, enthusiasm, scrambling, hustling, try to beat people with uh, with intensity and, and just the will, you know, the willingness to, to go all out. And um, you play that half-court game in that zone, and you sit back and kids just get lulled into a sense of, of uh, uh, you know, how do we make this happen? Uh, and, and as young as they are and with the limitations they've got, that's hard to do. So, so I was actually encouraged a little bit by the uh, two games in Washington for the basketball team. All right. Well, USC hoops, a couple of different directions. <laughs> the programs are going. We'll yeah. see what happens next year. But yeah, best of best of luck to the women of Troy and uh, the NCAA tournament. They they get to go automatically, right? Then because they won the Pac-12. I guess they do. Yeah. Now I think about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, that yeah, they are the Pac-12. I guess what we're thinking is. When they beat Stanford, even if they didn't win, they oh, probably yeah. put themselves in, and then then they put themselves in. Yeah. So yeah, great for them. I mean, just a tremendous. And I think there was a there was a nice uh, more than six thousand crowd for that game at the uh, at the tournament. So uh, I, I, it was nice. That was great. They they compete. I, I give them credit. They're not afraid uh, just to go out there and lay it on the line. Uh, terrific, uh, terrific effort. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again, and we'll uh, see you out there on the practice field tomorrow, uh, USC spring football practice. So fans can actually go out. I don't know if you want to give people an update on this before we go, but fans can kind of go out to Dato Field and watch from up there. I think it's the first 200 fans or so. So uh, 4 o'clock on Tuesday if you want to check that out. Right, Dan? Yeah, I think every game, every uh, practice except uh, the one on March 27th, which is they have something else booked uh, for that day for for the for Dado. Uh, but I think every other one is is available. The two at the Coliseum, one's the spring game, and then the other you have to stay on one side. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, they're encouraging you to come out and you know with this kind of weather and everything, why not? This is eh, just to be fun. I think uh, just. Just the up-tempo part of you get to see more guys doing more things, and uh, they've got you know they've got those kinds of numbers, and it'll be fun. The more the more they do to get to see Cody and Max uh, uh, compete out there and compete to learn uh, uh, you know what they want them to do and compete to you know to make the plays and uh, see all the the running backs. Uh, it, it should be fun. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week with a review of the first week of USC Spring Football.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.